0: Hey, what's good? This video is sponsored by TheLabs.com. The Labs is basically a platform that makes owning the rights to your work as easy as file sharing and writing lyrics. The Labs is a collaborative workspace that provides automated tracking, rights management, and protection of your music files during and after you create. Backed by blockchain, store your music and share securely with The Labs. So whether you're an inspiring writer or a seasoned vet, The Labs is the safest way to collaborate and share your music. Create, collab, and protect with The Labs. Go check it out, folks. Yo, what's good? My name is Reginald, aka the R-Star, aka Mr. Straight Fire. And if you're familiar with my channel, you know that I do Eminem songs breakdown mostly, but this video is different. I had the opportunity to do an interview with Tommy Costa Jr. Tommy is a composer, producer, and musician, and more importantly, he was the keyboardist for Dr. Dre in the era of the Marshall Mathers LP and Get Rich or Die Trying. So in this video, you're gonna hear the real story about the real Slim Shady, how we came up with it, and everything surrounding it. So here's the interview. So um, you said one of the most memorable sessions was the real Slim Shady. So we'll get let's get into that. So according to multiple sources, and even in Eminem's book, uh, there was a, pre- a lot of pressure to find the first singles, and you guys came up with the real Slim Shady. So let's right. just tell me the whole story, your involvement in it, how it was created. Sure. Like, I'm mm-hmm. top bottom. So-
1: so my recollection obviously is going to be from my point of view. Yes. That's what I'm going to So, hearing. so I'm going to, you know, in my humble opinion, this is what I remember. Um, and it was a really interesting situation because the record was done as far as I knew. And we were in the Was it mastered? Where... Like, was it already mastered? No, no, no. It was just oh, like, yeah. I heard it was done. Right. Okay. So. We're in the studio working on something. I don't really remember what it was. Uh, but M was in the room. Dre was in the room. Myself, Mike Elizondo, Segal, the engineer. And maybe a couple of other people, but I don't know. I don't remember. And Jimmy walks in. And you have with someone else, one of his one of his friends, or somebody from the, the label.
0: Does the room change? Uh, change? Oh where yeah. Jimmy walks oh, in? oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah.
1: Not in a bad way, but you know, Jimmy commands a room. Jimmy's Jimmy's <clears throat> a, a, a badass man. So, and you have to understand where Jimmy came from. You know. I just want
0: to say for people listening, we're talking about Jimmy Iovine, the, the Jimmy Iovine, uh, yeah, at the, at the head of uh, Interscope Records.
1: So he walks into the studio. And he sits down. He's got all this energy, you know, and he's he's sitting there. He's got a lot of positive energy. And he says, listen, this record is incredible. Hmm. But we need one single to open up the record because the record is very dark. And he was concerned that there wasn't going to be a first single that was going to launch this record and cross all genres, all demographics and, and have it be something that was more playful and more accessible by the demographic, the larger demographic than just the hardcore hip hop fans. Right. So when he said that, you know, obviously I, I was just listening. I would just happen to be in the room. So I'm like a fly on the wall at that point. And I see Dre and him kind of look at each other like, okay, you know, Okay, you can't you can't not say okay to Jimmy. I mean, he's 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 earned the right to say something like that and at least open the door for that conversation. So Jimmy leaves and I don't think anything of it. We finished our session. Now, I don't know what happened between that moment and the moment when I got called to go into the studio and when I arrived Larry Chapman saying, you guys are writing M's single today. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't very far. It was a couple of days, but I don't know what happened between that moment and when I was in the studio that day. So if they were looking for a beat between that moment and a few days later, I know nothing about that. Okay. So I can't say that that happened or that that didn't happen. Okay. So a few days later, I get a call from Larry, come to the studio. I come to the studio, he says, you know what you guys are working on today? I'm like, no. And he goes, Eminem's first single. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So after all these months of working on this record and all these talented people, we're supposed to pull a single out of the bag today (laughs) that's gonna compete with this brilliant music that's been massaged and worked on for the past several months. Okay, well, I'll I'll do my best. (laughs) <laughs> so eventually, everybody shows up. Um, it's myself, Mike Alizondo, That's the, Eminem, base, he's the base,
0: uh, bass, bass player, right, guitar, and player. also
1: co-producer, co-writer, yeah, uh, Segal, who's the engineer, and Dre. Now, there's a a loop that's cycling, that's that's looping, a drum loop that's looping on an MPC three thousand or whatever MPC whatever MPC had at the time, yeah. And it's it's looping and you know, M's on the couch with a jacket over his head because he's tired.
0: What, what he's time frustrated. was it? What time was it like during the day?
1: You know, early afternoon. Okay. And he's frustrated because he knows he's not gonna like the song because M does not write music to be popular. M yeah. writes what he wants to write. He's a very authentic artist. Yeah, yeah. So, He's under his jacket. He's not moving. I'm playing keys. Mike's playing bass. Seagal's, like, got his arms back in the chair. He's, like, chilling. Nothing is happening. Dre had left the room to go out
0: and have a meeting. When you say nothing is happening, there's
1: nothing playing? M's not moving. Okay. Seagal's bored. I'm, like, (laughs) on the keys. Mike's on the bass. Like, Dre's not in the room. I'm like, okay. So... I tell Seagal, hey, mute my keyboard. And what that means is there's two buttons on the mixing console, left and right stereo. Just hit the mute button so that you can't hear my keyboard anymore in the room. Okay. I don't want anybody to hear what I'm doing. <laughs> now, the beat is very loud in the room. For what
0: reason? Because you want...
1: Because I, because I wanted some private time to myself to work something out. Ah, uh, I see. So I put some headphones on. I can still hear the beat because it's quite loud in the room and it's bleeding through the phones. And I said to myself, you know, Tommy, you've been working with Dre and, and everybody in the camp for quite some time now, what what have you learned? Like, what have you learned? <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I'm like, well, classical sounds, classical chord progressions it has to be a very kind of playful, fun melody. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of stuff is written at a certain BPM. So the BPM was already kind of in motion with the drum loop cycling. So I was a Korg in, in Dorsey at the time. I still am. I still endorse Korg. And I start flipping through sounds on a Triton and I come up with a harpsichord sound. And I'm like, well, that's kind of fun and funky, yeah. you know. And I'm a jazz musician at heart. So if you listen to that melody. The the Marshall Mathers on on the Real Some Shady, you know, if you listen to that melody, uh, right? Yeah. So that's basically a C minor scale with a major seven. So if I have a piano and I'm playing a piano sound. if you listen to that melody it's very. it can be used on a jazz progression as a, right. as part of a solo or part of a melody so that line is very conducive to like my Mediterranean jazz kind of vibe right right yeah it, it, it's really interesting that certain friends of mine actually said, man, we heard that song, bro. We knew that was your stuff. So anyway, so I've got the headphones on, I've got the harpsichord sound and I'm like, man, I kind of like this cute little melody thing. So I said, Hey, Seagal, unmark, unmute my keyboard. And I start banging that out to the, to the, to the MPC beat. And M comes from behind his jacket, and he's like, Tommy, keep playing that. I'm like, (laughs) okay. So I just keep playing. I look at Mike. He looks at me, and Mike writes the bass line, which uh, fit perfectly with what, you know, I was playing. He's like. So, you know. So it's like a counterpoint part what I was playing brilliantly written by him so he's playing that he figures that out he's playing that and we're just cycling 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 M's writing 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 then he runs out of the room brings Dre in Dre listens for a second and just thumbs up looks at everybody (laughs) thumbs up walks back out finishes his meeting later he comes back in and reprograms the drum beat so that it is following more the bass line and the melody and and kind of working better with what we had written than what was there before and that is that is how the real slim shady came to be that a is... week later I came back to do the rest of the uh, the parts with dre there was a chord progression that that I wrote that worked really well which is just that's just a very classical And then dre wanted a little transition going into different parts so there's some sixth in there he wanted a timpani roll and then, and then the guitar solo at the end is me on a keyboard bending notes on a chord trident they're like oh we got to get a guitar solo in there at the end And i'm like oh you mean like this and i just started because i'm a big lead synth player as well and i said oh like this and they're like yeah 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 and then we worked out the is there melodies. a flute at the end no, that's a, that's a guitar patch on a, on a chord keyboard. Oh. They might've EQ'd it a bit so that it sounded like that, but they oh, originally we, wanted a guitar.
0: Oh, okay, I, I don't know, I thought, always thought it was a flute. Oh, okay, yeah, Yeah, now,
1: and, yeah. I see. And that was, that was it, bro, and, and honestly, so now, so now I find myself in a really interesting position because I know that not only did I come up with the concept, but I'm a co-writer on this now, right? Yeah. So I had to at some point I had to talk to Dre about that and he was amazing and 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 there was no question about what had gone down and 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 that's
0: what I I I was I was saying before I think because people see Dre produced by Dre and then oh yeah other people are working with him and people think that oh he's just trying to take credit and I feel that's just a, a a false image that's portrayed out there by Dr. Dre because then when you hear a story like yours it's like like he's totally fine with it and and it's really nice to hear that from you
1: yeah dre is <laughs> everything that dre put his name on as far as i know but i didn't know him before 1999 right he was the guy behind it all oh, bro i mean dre is sincerely one of the most talented nicest people i've ever worked for and like he he would just blow my mind i mean and i mean just look at all of his work you you can't yeah. take anything away from that guy no you can't and every time he walked away from a situation that he was you know he was uncomfortable with or did, had run its course he went and built another empire and it yep. did even better so yeah. you can't actions speak louder than words Definitely. people are always going to talk you know about people and and but that's just the that's just the price you pay when you're successful so And one rumor that's out
0: there is that the song, the Real Slim Shady song was finalized like hours before the album was, was due. Like, is that, is there any truth to that?
1: I think that, that it was finished very closely to the release date, but the release date, I think of the Real Slim Shady was sometime in April. And then I think the record came out in May.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, might be a month april
1: 17th or 15th or something yeah, something like that
0: yeah and the record was uh may 23rd yeah.
1: yeah yeah may 23rd exactly so again jimmy had come in and made this request and dre and myself and M and mike fulfilled that ask and we got lucky because i don't know if you know this you probably do but when an artist does a record sometimes there are thousands of pieces of music that are submitted to that artist to check and listen to to consider for their record right Celine Dion could have 2000 songs submitted for her record wow yeah this was like the when the real some shady happened it was like Moses parted the sea (laughs) because there was no pushback from anybody there was no pushback from M there was no pushback from Dre there was no pushback from Jimmy, Interscope, Universal the song just fell from the universe into our laps at that moment and it just we finished it and it went out and it was released and it blew up it was an A plus single it was like the it was like a perfect storm because half the time you write something and it doesn't even make the record or half the time you write something and think it's going to be gain traction and do well and it doesn't do that well so I'll never forget how well that was received and how easy that process was. But again, we're talking about writing something very simple that follows those formulas in pop songwriting, which is keep it simple. But it's so, also a
0: very unique melody. Like it just, the sound, the the, the harp that you said, like it's, it sounds that like
1: you never, you never heard before on a rap record. Um, I did notice a lot of harpsichords being used after that. And I, I chuckled about that. So. Yeah, that, that, that's,
0: that is very, that is very true. Because I remember yeah. the first time I heard that, uh, I was like this is not a sound I've ever heard before. It was yeah. just definitely something that uh that that was unique. Um and um so cuz so so you did that in the one that one day um how was like M&M's or the whole people everyone's like morale was it low was did you feel the tension the pressure that people had? No.
1: No, no, no. I I felt that the only thing I felt was that M wanted to get back to Detroit to see his daughter. You know, at that time his daughter was very young and he was missing her, and and uh, he wanted to. He wanted to go home. He was tired. He'd been working on this record for for a, a while, and I didn't feel any. There, there wasn't any negative energy. There wasn't any anything like that. He, but he was just tired, you know. And every time I was in the studio, it was the energy was always really, really good. For at least for me, it was. I was just enjoying it. And I stayed out of the out of the. I stayed out of the way, though. I was just the guy sitting behind a keyboard, and did when I was spoke to, you know, I I did something and that I was asked to do, and I wasn't walking in there and saying, "Hey, I got this song idea." I wasn't walking in there and saying, "Hey, Dre, I think you should produce this this way." (laughs) I just would show up and do what I was asked to do, and that day they asked me to be a part of of a co-write, and uh, I feel like I was I was given um, enough talent and enough experience and, and awareness to help create that solution for that, that ask that Jimmy asked for, so. Now I want to thank Tommy for the time and the opportunity that he gave me to do an interview
0: with him. I learned a lot. So throughout the week, I'm gonna release some clips of the interview and then finally release the whole thing. So until then, this has been Unbashedly Reggie. Thanks, it's been real.